Welcome to The Golden Shadow. My name is Alyssa Palizzi. And I'm Aaron Rogerson. And today we're discussing The Wheel of Fortune, a mysterious and complex tarot card that captures the archetypal dynamics of fate, free will, and personal agency. So we're really going to use this card, The Wheel of Fortune, as a launching pad into a deeper philosophical discussion around these concepts. So let's start by defining them a little bit. What do you think, Aaron? So fate, destiny, free will, these are all concepts exploring the same kind of idea. Mm. How much agency do you have over your life? How much control have you had over the events that have transpired in your life? The events that will transpire wherever you find yourself at this current moment, how much of it did you decide upon and how much of it just sort of happened mm. to you? And this is present in our lives all the time, this sort of notion that we wake up in the morning and we often sort of ask ourselves, how did I get here? Mm. Or what's happening to me? Or how did everything fall apart? Um, how did I end up in this place? Maybe you take a strange move and you move to a different state and you're sort of like, wow, how did I end up in Oklahoma? Like I was never expecting that. Um, or you change jobs and you find yourself working a job that you never thought you'd be working and maybe it's great. And you're just like, I never ever thought that I would be working in a, in a garden as a groundskeeper with mm-hmm. a, with a rake. And I thought I was going to be some sort of like a uh, pop star, but here I am. <laughs> working out in the wilderness and I'm much happier this way and I just never expected this to happen to me. And so we're all sort of taking these strange paths through life and we sort of trick ourselves often into thinking we have complete agency over what happens to us. Hmm. Everything that happens, we have decided. We can take credit for all the good things and yet all the bad things that happen to us, those aren't our fault. Hmm. That was fate. I have, I'm not to blame for this bad thing that happened to me. I'm not to blame for something else that happened to someone else. And so we're constantly kind of juggling these ideas. Um, are you responsible for your actions mm. or are you not? Our justice system is even like kind of based upon this idea that people have responsibility over their actions. And if for some reason they are not responsible, as if like they're crazy, let's say someone has is insane, suddenly they don't have agency mm. and therefore they cannot be punished in the way that you would normally punish someone. So there's all these ideas of like, how much agency do we have? What's within our control? And what's out of our control? Yeah. Well, the Wheel of Fortune is interesting because it starts to really amplify this idea or introduce it into the psyche in a way that pulls you out of the the bubble of believing that you have control or believing that free will is the only aspect that's at play here. Everything that I can control All these things that happen um, come from my own hand and within the major arcana, when this card comes up, it's a really big shift in tone. Mm. Um, All of the the sort of subsequent cards that come after this are really just sort of turning this idea of what life is on its head. And this Mm. is like the starting point. It is like the the shifting of, of the major arcana. And so when when this comes up for us in everyday life, it's when we start to grapple with this idea of destiny, of fate, of uh, things that are out of our control. And maybe up until these points, we're kind of living in a sense of illusion or maybe just in a naivety. And at a certain point, reality or these universal dynamics come crashing into us. And that might be something in the form of, um, you know, 
going outside and going about your day as normal and then getting into an accident and how that shifts and changes your life in ways that you couldn't have foreseen. And it's like, hmm, why did this happen? You know, it's right. like, well, it's Wheel of Fortune, right? Right. It's like a very cosmic card. Yes, very As you're cosmic. saying that all, all of the cards in the tarot deck, there's 78 cards and they have varying degrees of heaviness almost sure. or varying degrees of scope mm-hmm. where a lot of cards, cards feel... Um, very zoomed in sure, mm-hmm. and might say, well, oh, this, this is like a pretty simple car. This is sort of about like daily life. And mm-hmm. then like Wheel of Fortune is a card that represents sort of this idea of like cosmic act of God, mm-hmm. deus ex machina. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. The, yeah. the patterns of the universe that are like pushing and pulling at you. And yeah. You are just a ant in a huge ocean mm-hmm. and you are just like a pawn in like the, the wheels yeah. of fate. And so... A very cosmic, cosmic card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is the recognition of these outside forces, and that is something that is incredibly destabilizing for people. Mm. Um, when you realize that you are at the mercy of something else, something that you cannot control. But this is really something that we've been grappling with as humans for forever. <laughs> forever. I mean, since before <laughs> history, I think this is something that yeah. people were sort of tossing around. Is like, why do bad things? happen to right, us yeah. um why do good things happen and do we have any influence mm. can, we, can we do a kind of uh, sacred dance to make it rain yeah do we have any control over the rain yeah maybe we do let's find out or no you have no control over the rain and there's a drought mm. nothing you can do about it yeah and i think humans struggle with both of those ideas certainly do i have power here well, that's a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. do i have no power at all yeah. that's really frustrating yeah so i think this is a question that's as old as consciousness. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, for the, those of us kind of caught in um, in in the grip of ego consciousness that we don't want to recognize and let go of that sense of power and control and agency. And the Wheel of Fortune comes in and just kind of like smacks that aside and says, I do not care. Mm-hmm. I will show you. I will put you in your place so it relativizes, you know, the ego or whatever tendency we have to believe that, you know, the the scope of possibility is just is everything that we can, you know, put our eye on or as something that we can even envision. It's like the wheel of fortune comes in and says, there's no way you saw this coming. And that can be really positive. It can be really great too. Mm-hmm. You know, something amazing has happened. I've got this opportunity that when you look back five years l- later, it has completely changed your life in this yeah. powerful way. Um, so it's just feeling gripped in something that is greater than yourself. Right. And- so when we, when you draw the card, when, mm-hmm. you, when you are doing a spread, if you are, Someone who uses tarot as a practice, this card, it'll land on top of a few other cards, perhaps. Or maybe you're only drawing one card and you draw Wheel of Fortune. Mm-hmm. But there is this feeling when you draw that card that's sort of like a reminder yeah. that there's things at play mm. that you do not understand. Or there's yeah. things happening to you that you don't have any control in. Mm. You have to... You have to remember to be at peace in yeah. some regard yeah, yeah, with yeah. the way in which things are happening to you. Yeah. You need to learn to sit with the feeling of no control. Yeah, uncertainty. To, uncertainty. You need, yeah. you need to learn to sit with the fact that something has happened to you and it's not fair. Yeah. It's really not fair what's happened to you. But this whole idea of fairness is mm. something that's like, well, nature, um, the universe, in some sense, God, yeah. with some people's interpretation, like it's not just 
fair. It's not just like good things happen to good people. Right. Cause it's amoral, you know, right. it, these things are just going to happen and the right. way that they affect you, it's like, yeah, it could be good. Yeah. It could be bad. But like, you know, there, there's no true judgment really coming from the universal force. And I think about kind of meaningful ways that this card has shown up for me or other mm. people that I've read for. And I, I drew this card at a time where things were really chaotic in my life and feeling very just pulled in all these directions with yeah. no sense of grounding and a lot of things happening that I wish I could control um, mm. and feeling really bad about it. And I remember just drawing the card and immediately getting so emotional, which isn't hard for me, yeah. but just... what I saw reflected in that card was just this feeling of, okay, like you, you can remember that a lot of what's happening is, is part of the greater forces that Mm -hmm. are at play. Mm -hmm. And you can let go of that feeling of needing to know, you know, what is the next turn, you know, and are we going to go uphill or are we going to go downhill or am am I going to get spit out or am I going to get trampled? It just kind of felt like, in this moment, at least, that I could be reminded of that. And I, and some of that heaviness and some of that tension just felt release. And, you know, not in the way that it makes me, like, just give up all personal responsibility. That's right. not what the card does. If anything, it, it tries to show you the tension between that sort of personal responsibility and agency and control, along with all of those forces that you can't. And and just recognizing it in those moments, Um and so for me, it was really powerful just to have that reminder and to feel like I could sit with where things were presently and lean into it and allow things to develop and, and in some ways kind of just trust in it, trust myself kind of caught in the grip of the wheel and see where it was going to spit me out next. Right. So one of the ways this the evidence at least is that this has been talked about for a very, very long time is in our mythology. Yeah, definitely. And one of the most well-known mythologies of this notion of cosmic justice mm. or why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people is uh, the book of Job mm. in the Bible. And this is like, you know, super well-known, super analyzed um, story. Um, but this idea that Job has done everything right and he's a good mm. and he serves god well yeah um and yet all these bad things happen to him and despite all these bad things happening to him he doesn't really lose faith mm. um and it is tapping into this idea of um the life outcomes of everyone they sort of vary in these ways that don't often make sense to us mm. there is this notion of like well he did everything right and he still failed Mm. Or this person really doesn't deserve this. Why are they the one who is uh, receiving these accolades or why are they inheriting all this money? Mm. Or why did this person survive while this person died yeah. in this situation? Things like that. And this um, really, I mean, you know, we could get into the, probably we'll probably have another episode at some point in which we talk about God or what God is and just what God has been in uh, mythology and how, how can we like sort of reconcile that with uh, the way that we see the world now. But um, there is this notion that God is doing things. He's intervening in people's life. He's, he's um, laying down judgment in ways that doesn't seem to hold up to what our logic would tell us. Mm. And yet you're supposed to like maintain your faith. Mm. You're supposed to keep trying to do things the right way. You're trying to, you should keep adhering to some sort of moral code you should not give up hope. Mm. You should not just say, well, okay, well, nothing matters. I have no control over my life. 
the point is like no bad things will still happen to you occasionally no matter what yeah but that doesn't mean that everything is meaningless and it doesn't mean that you actually have no control mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. actually this this balance here well, there's also kind of the question of like, what is the greater lesson that's being taught or what does the individual gain through these challenges um, kind of going into like the crucible and being shaped by these hot, difficult fires, you know, mm. they're being poked and prodded and suffering in all these ways. And it, it, it shapes character and individuality in a way that can be very, very powerful when we're willing to sort of meet the uncertainty mm -hmm. and have a level of faith uh, or trust in it to some degree and kind of weather the storm um, and kind of where do we come out on the other side of that. Um, mm -hmm. We can't ever truly make sense of God's will or a universal principle or this, you know, just chance happening, however you want to look at it. But that doesn't shift how it integrates into your own experience or how it challenges you to tap into some part of yourself that you didn't know was there. Um, and maybe you are wounded in some way afterwards, but there's often some kind of deeper essence that's also uh, taking shape through these experiences. Right. So something that is really prevalent in human psychology and in the way that people deal with conflict and the way that they interpret the things that happen to them is we tend to think that someone is to blame for everything that happens mm. always. We play mm. the blame game very readily. Yeah. And you can see this um, very present in our current climate uh, of just blame, 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 blame. Who Who's the bad person here? Or who, who are the evil people who are responsible for what has happened to me? Mm. Who are the people that we should uh, hold as? Um, responsible as the scapegoat and then we can execute them and pretend that like we've solved the problem mm -hmm. because we've figured out what went wrong. It's this yeah. person's fault. And we tend to do this uh, as a society. We tend to find some sort of group and say, well, they're the ones responsible for what's going on here. They they messed everything up. This bad event that happened, it was their fault. Mm -hmm. And you can see this over and over again. And this has been a tool that people can capitalize mm -hmm. on to um, galvanize a movement as you know Hitler did, I would say. A lot of the communist movements also are just sort of capitalizing on this idea of blaming people for like mm -hmm. the reason your life is not what it should be is because of this one group that oppresses you. Yeah. Um, but we do it in our relationships too. It's like if there's something wrong in our relationship, um, we tend to think, well, it must be your fault. Mm. Or maybe yeah. it's all my fault, but someone's to blame for what's gone wrong here. Right. And that only makes sense if you are under the opinion that everyone has complete agency over everything that's happening in their life. Right, right. And we find that this is actually not really true, um, that all kinds of things are happening all the time, that it's not really clear who's responsible. And it's easy to think, well, we can trace it back and find who's responsible. Yeah. But often we can't. We can't really make sense of like, how did how did all this happen? How did I get here? Who's, who's responsible? Am I responsible or are mm -hmm. you responsible? Mm -hmm. um, but if we examine it more closely, we find that like it's very hard to pinpoint who's responsible. Well, you can situations. kind of like really sort of peel back the layers and you can start at like level one, which is like, this is me and you. Mm -hmm. And this is what you said. And this is yeah. what I said. It's like, okay, peel back the layer. It's like, why do you have a tendency to resort to this behavior? Well, that's because of this. It's like, okay, yeah. peel back another layer. Well, that's because in my childhood, I always resorted to, you know, relating to people like this. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, why is that? Because my parent was like this. And why are they like that? It's like, oh my God, you start to see this like unfolding, like fractal, like relational pattern where it's 
it's like all of these things were sort of fated to be where you ended up in life, who you, right. who your parents are, the people that you met. It's like all of these things kind of coming into a, a type of synergy, which has led you to this very moment. And in some ways, like you're dealing with that fate of your own life in, and somebody else's in addition to whatever like realistic facts you're actually trying to argue over. Right. So Sometimes you just have to step back and like use that as an opportunity to just have perspective and just be uh, maybe a little bit more understanding of the greater uh, the greater forces that are really at play. Right. So, you know, there's this question of like, can you really um, blame someone for their traumatic childhood? Mm. You know, it's like, mm. why is this person uh, really unreliable? Mm. And it's like, well, you know, they kind of have like a, a drinking problem. Yeah. And it's like, oh, who's responsible for that? It's like, well, they had a really, really bad relationship recently and that ended horribly and that's why they're drinking so much. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, who's responsible for that? It's like, well, you know, the person that this uh, alcoholic was dating was traumatized as a child and seems to have strange... Uh, intimacy problems mm. and it's like oh okay well who's responsible for that and it's like well the parent the father was like very neglectful and, mm. and maybe was uh, verbally abusive towards her and um you know that's why she's so traumatized it's like well who's responsible for the father being abusive it's like mm. well his father was being like mm -hmm. you keep pulling this back and the problem first of all if you just do this if you just sort of do this one-to-one -one of like what's the reason for this even that starts to illustrate of like, okay, so the reason that Phil is late is because of his ex-girlfriend Susan's father's father's father. <laughs> that's why he's late. And like you realize it's like, that's absurd. That, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. There's no way you can say that like, that's the reason he was late to the party. Right. And yet there is something there that's kind of like, well, that is partially mm -hmm. why he was late to the party is because mm -hmm. this strange thing that's traced back into the past yeah. hundreds of years maybe yeah and you keep going back and back and back and then you sort of start to get into this like weird cause and effect thing yeah where it's like well the reason this happens because of this which is because of this it's because of this and the more you trace that back the more you kind of understand it's like huh it's almost like people aren't really responsible for their own actions yeah and that's what's strange and you know maybe someone um has resorted to criminality to uh survive right maybe someone's a thief and yeah. maybe they go around and they, they steal things. And it's easy to say, well, it's his fault. He's a thief and he should be punished for it. It's like, yeah, but isn't he only a thief because of the economic situation? Right. That's required him to somehow find a way to support himself because yeah. he can't get a job. Right. It's like, okay, well, whose fault is that? Well, it's like, well, it's obviously the, the Republicans. And it's like, well, okay, wait, what? So it's like, it's their fault that he stole this sandwich. <laughs> and it's like, again, like that doesn't really make sense either. It's like every time you trace this stuff back, the more and more you kind of realize that there's a lack of agency in a lot of people's actions. Yeah, yeah. And when you do that, the more compassion you have for everyone mm. as being like, huh, if no one's really in control completely, it's almost as if like we shouldn't punish them so hard for when they screw up. Yeah. And you start to feel that for more, for more and more people. It's like, oh. Yeah. You're only doing this because of this. Yeah. And therefore it's not exactly your fault and therefore i should be, i should feel compassionate towards you because it's almost like you're caught in some sort of cause and effect loop yeah that you never chose to be in mm. you never chose to be traumatized as a child therefore you should not be blamed for being traumatized right and you get into this sort of gray confusion mm. which is really important to make sense of the world well it's interesting because i think part of 
the Wheel of Fortune as a card and as an entry point into this archetypal dynamic is that through it, through through this this symbol, we we gain greater perspective because we're able to step outside of ourselves and see things in this different way. And it does sort of invite in more of that grayness as you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We recognize things aren't so black and white. And it certainly doesn't mean that we need to treat all situations and individuals in, in a way that is absolving them of um, responsibility and taking control. But it, it, like that's where like the tension of the opposites comes in, where you mm-hmm. have to recognize that there is greater forces at play, things that you cannot control, the way that your life was destined to be, you know, the gods and, and their choice of fate. In addition, you do have personal control. There is a level of agency. And how do you dance between... Between the two of those, you know, how do you extend compassion when you recognize that someone's fate is playing out while also maybe emboldening them and encouraging them to step into their power so that they can in some ways sort of like manipulate some of those patterns that were caused because fate might deal us a hand, but what we do with it is, is what's truly in our control. Um, Right. And so this is, you know, there there will be some philosophical um, qualms with this discussion because free will, like, it really is like a complicated topic. And <laughs> there is sort of some people do have the notion that there actually is no free will at all, and that everything is cause and effect. Mm. And that the the idea that we have control at all is actually an illusion. Uh, I don't really believe that. It doesn't really seem workable. It doesn't mm. really seem like it's tenable as far as yeah. the way that we interact with reality. And um, it just becomes incoherent very quickly. Mm. But so with within this sort of understanding that there's so much at play that we don't have control of yeah. over, that you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose to be born where you were born, you didn't choose your genes that you have, mm. um, you didn't really choose anything probably until you were about, you know, maybe age 12, 13. Mm. You didn't choose where you went to school. You didn't choose the people that you were exposed to in school. Yeah. Uh, you didn't choose the opportunities that were given to you as a child, there's so much chance just in who you are, yeah. um, what you became. And mm-hmm. we we have to acknowledge that when we understand people's struggles, it's like maybe you didn't really have much choice over where you are right now. Maybe yeah. you just did the best you could. But at the same time, as you're saying, um, we have to understand that there is truth to the idea that you do have power. Yeah. And we talk this way. And the idea of not talking this way is incoherent. Like the idea that if I'm like, you know, if there is a mess on the ground, I have the power to clean the mess. It's like the idea of like, no, I don't. <laughs> it will or it will not get cleaned. There is no decision to be made. It's like, well, that, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, no, no, I have the power to clean up the mess. I just need to get a broom and do it. And then when we're talking to each other, there's certainly, um, language that we use there's there's perception there's a psychology that we have that us talking has some sort of point Mm. it's not just like well there's no point communicating because we don't actually have any free will so if Mm. if we want to kind of coordinate how to uh, go and get groceries there's actually no point in coordinating because whether or not we get groceries is completely up to chance it's like well (laughs) that doesn't really make any sense either obviously you have some power to communicate and figure out what to do in this situation Mm. and that's what we have to sort of reckon with Mm. is what does it mean to have agency and how much agency do you actually have? And this can get pretty confusing. Mm. Um, I mean, we've already talked about in the podcast 
how much the ego is convinced <laughs> that it has agency. Yeah. Yeah. Right, the ego is like I'm totally in control, and I make all the decisions, and I'm the one driving. Yeah, and as we've said repeatedly, it's like the reality is that the unconscious is more accurately the person who is driving. Yeah, more accurately the part of you that's driving, and the ego is sort of in service to the unconscious. Mm -hmm. So there's already this idea just with human psychology, just with our notion of what's real and who am I mm. that is lacking in agency. Yeah, and that's what makes it so difficult to reckon with. Well, I mean, to that point, you know, as we recognize that our own psychology and our own human dynamic has this principle of an unconscious element that is made up of, you know, experiences that we've kind of tossed to the side or, um, you know, things that have been picked up in the environment, you know, aspects that are building inside of us that have yet to bubble into consciousness. There's the recognition that we can come into relationship with it and mm -hmm. that ego consciousness plays a role as that, you know, very uh, sort of grounded uh, principle that sort of gives us that continuity and that sense of I and makes us feel like we have the power and agency and, and we can keep that. And the, the structure of that can be sound while also recognizing that there's a part of us that we don't fully understand. And that, you know, at times when we take certain actions or behaviors or we're doing something compulsively and we don't understand why, that we're living out what might be considered like a type of fate or destiny because it feels like it's out of our control. But really, like there's something deeper that's at play here. And, and maybe that's... I don't know, sort of part of the manifestation of all of the mythology of where this comes from, because we see, you know, the gods at play in all of these stories kind of, um, you, know, you know, shifting the tides and coming in like a deus ex machina or suddenly favoring this hero or not that one. There is this really like capricious natures that, that they have. It's like suddenly you're favored and, and another time you're not. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can be accountable for your actions, but in some ways you can't because what is the mood of the gods? And that spinning of the wheel is part of what our everyday experience is really like. And that plays into the nature of our unconscious that if mm. if we don't recognize that this is at play, we will be destined to possibly live out patterns of fate that do not serve us. But as we as we see it for what it is and know that maybe we can't control it completely, but can understand it more and integrate it and come into relationship with it, a new kind of harmony, um, a new kind of balance really is struck between the dynamics that you'll never truly be able to control, but can at least recognize are there as well as the actions that you're taking. Right. So a lot of the, a lot of the talk that people have, a lot of the language that's used just around self-help and self-improvement is essentially geared towards agency. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about this balance between understanding what you have control over and what you don't have control over, um, a lot of the notion of wisdom or the notion of becoming the person that you're meant to be or getting someplace that you're meant to go in life, a lot of that is aiming at moving things increasingly in the direction of having control. Mm. The the movement of the dial of like zero control or absolute control. It's mm. like, well, it's somewhere in the middle. It's mm. like, but can we move it closer and closer towards absolute control mm. and further away from having no control? And I mean, we readily recognize this with money, mm. right? If you have money, you have a lot of agency. Mm. You can do a lot of things. You have a lot of options. Mm. 
um, if there's some sort of disaster or uh, storm that comes or flood that comes and washes things away. It's like if you have money, you'll be okay. You'll maintain your agency. And as you run out of money and someone who is lacking money, we, we do recognize this as like a lack of agency. It's like your options run out. Hmm. You have less and less things that you have control over. You're forced increasingly into a narrow box when you run out of money. Hmm. And it's like, what can you do now? It's like, well, you might only have one option, which is to take this really bad job you don't want. Whereas if you're independently wealthy, you have all these options. Um, and I think that's, I mean, money is a pretty basic example, but like when we're talking about wisdom and self-improvement and like even the point of this podcast, the whole idea of integrating the shadow, a lot of that has to do with like moving the dial towards agency, mm-hmm. not letting the shadow control you, yeah. not, not, not letting your life uh, descend into the same bad habits, the same bad spirals over and yeah. over and over again. And, um, that's what a lot of these practices are about. Yeah. It's also sort of interesting because like, as we strengthen ego, as we make it more resilient, as we make it more flexible and okay with, uh, knowing that these other pieces are at play, it allows you to feel comfortable with the lack of control or times when you can sort of release it. And maybe that's partly how ego has been up until that point, like mm-hmm. gripping and holding on in a way that's just like really like just totally off base, mm-hmm. um, you know, or maybe it's been an ego that's just not holding on at all. Yeah. Um, wherever you are on that spectrum of possibility, ultimately self-development, self-development, self-inquiry, inner work, all that kind of stuff helps you recognize who you are and your place in the world and, you know, everything that's shaped you up until this point. And that allows you to, to be in these moments when the wheel comes and it grips mm-hmm. you and it, and it takes you and it's grasp and, you know, spins you all around where you can say, like, I, I know I can weather this, or I know that I will make it through, or I can turn back to certain aspects of myself that I can ground into and that I can control. And, and it's not control in a way that's um, erratic. It can be a very powerful ground practice you know you might not be able to control that you've had an onset of anxiety and depression that's hit you it seems to have just come from nowhere but how do you kind of root yourself through that I turn to what I can control which is taking care of myself physically making sure I eat well exercise get enough sleep that I meditate that I spend time with people Mm -hmm. who who support me that I get out into nature. These are like good ways of exercising control of yeah. feeling like you can hold on to something, even though you're in like the eye of the storm, even though everything around you feels like total chaos. And I mm-hmm. think that's, what's so powerful sometimes about recognizing these universal forces is that something has come in. The weather has changed. Things are getting dark, a little bit scary, but you can hold on to your sense of self in a way that's, uh, I don't know, you're not, you're not losing control and you're also not trying to control things in a way that just doesn't really actually do any good for you. Right. So, um, a personal anecdote to kind of try and illustrate this concept is, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't think I have, but, um, I used to work in an old folks home that we've talked about. I'm sure we talked about during the dreams dreams episode. Like I was dreaming about being back at the old folks home. Um, but one of the reasons that I stopped working at the old folks home was because I got a job doing something else, which was bartending. Mm -hmm. Um, and bartending changed my life 
which sounds kind of strange because <laughs> um, people kind of look down on bartending as, as a job sometimes. But uh, if you bartend in the San Francisco Bay Area, in downtown San Francisco especially, you can make a lot of money. Um, but I, there were two old folks' homes. I worked at one, and then I randomly was asked to cover at the other old folks' home, which I'd never done before, and that almost never happens. But they mm-hmm. had me go over there to do um, some exercise stuff with the old folks, which is what I was doing at the old folks' home. It was exercise stuff. But um, while I was covering this shift that was only going to happen one time, I had a, a random chance encounter with someone that I hadn't seen in a very, very long time who also worked at the old folks' home. Uh, who worked at the other one. Um, and we just had a conversation and then he was mentioning that he had been working at a bar as sort of a side thing. And that, um, it just so happened that they were looking for a new bar back at the bar. And he just like threw it out there. He's like, do you want a bar back at this bar? (laughs) And like, it seemed like such a strange idea, but I was, something occurred to me. It was kind of like, huh? And I was like, I feel like I've heard that like some bartenders make a lot of money mm. and I just like had this inclination. It was kind of like, maybe this is a good idea. And I just decided to go for it. And it was, it was such a random chance thing. Mm. And there's so many ways that it could not have happened. There's, there's ways in which I could have not been working at the old folks home anymore. There's yeah. ways in which I could have not overlapped with this guy as far as the shift goes. I could have turned down the shift to cover. Mm. Um, he could have been sick that day. Yeah. Uh, he could have just not brought it up in conversation. There's mm. all kinds of things that could have happened that didn't, would not lead to this. But I took the job as a bar back. I started working at the bar and um, I saw the potential just observing about what was going on there and the way that people were were, uh, making cash every night to get paid. And within six months, I was bartending and I had essentially tripled my income Mm. in six months. Yeah. And I thought that was insane. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and also just as a job, it just like felt so much better and more like there was so much more autonomy. There was so much more feeling of being an adult. Um. And it was just in a matter of six months, my life had radically changed. And yeah. I had illustrated all these important things to myself about the, the ability to make money and support yourself yeah. in, this, in this serious way. That was like, well, how, how did this even happen to me? Yeah. And it's easy to think, well, it's like, well, I made it happen. <laughs> I just like, I figured it out and I decided to, to do this thing and I knew it would work out. And like, there's some truth to that. It has to be sure. recognized that yes. like, this wasn't just completely out of my hands. It's like, right. I did decide to take on this, this opportunity. I did decide to pursue it. I did decide to work really hard, but it was complete chance, mm. just like out of the blue. Yeah. And the forces of nature, the forces in the universe, these patterns, um, these ripples are just breaking through each other right. and they're forcing you in random directions and who knows where you're going to end up. And you're yeah. just like this little boat paddling in a big ocean and the mm. waves push you in certain mm-hmm. directions and you can paddle, 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 paddle. But like ultimately it's like you're not in charge of the ocean. Yeah. You don't know where you're going. Yeah. And sometimes you just get spit out into a better place. Yeah. Or you get spit out into a worse place. Yeah. And I think that's where like the interesting sort of personification of the Wheel of Fortune comes in because we mm. often see it as by the God's hand that the wheel spins. There's very like classical uh, medieval um, imagery, specifically if you look up like the Wheel of Fortune, where you see uh, the goddess Fortuna sort of spinning the wheel and Mm. by her hand, you know, an individual is being tossed on and they might kind of land at the bottom of it and are kind of stuck or they might, you know, be emerging and ascending to the top and kind of, you know, being graced with something. There's this feeling that... What is coming, what is happening to us, what is developing is 
powerful and shapes us and shifts us along this tide and then mm-hmm. that and then caught up in this current, but we're not in control. And yet in some ways, you know, if you're the little boat, there there's some there's some dynamic of the tension that you have as you're right. paddling through it, yeah. you know, is like you needed to take that job or you yeah. needed to listen to something inside of yourself yeah. that was like, Oren, give it a try. Mm-hmm. You could have said no. You could have stayed in a place that felt safe and uh, the known, you know, yeah. in the castle walls, not venturing out and taking the heroic leap into something kind of like weird, like eh, right. bartending, but like it radicalized your life in a really powerful way. Yeah, certainly. And, and this is something else we've covered in previous episodes, but like, certainly there, there's something to be said for placing yourself in a position where luck will find you. Ooh, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> the opportunity to work at this bar, for instance, yeah. is like, was it totally out of your control? Or like, are you regularly putting yourself in a position to accept opportunities? Mm. And it's like, mm. it seems lucky, yeah. but in some sense, you're creating your own luck. Yeah. And like, did you have the instinct to know this is a good thing to try. Mm. And it's like, how are you doing that? So there's mm. like, there is this interaction with like luck mm. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like agency. Yes. And it's like, which yes. one is it? It's like, yes. it's both. Yes, it's both. And you can make yourself seem luckier by giving yourself more agency yeah. by opening yourself up to opportunity. Yes. Yes. I, I've also sort of like mused lately to myself, do like certain personality types have a tendency towards being at least perceived as like more lucky mm-hmm. than others. As an yeah. example, like, as a pretty strong, like intuitive type, like I'm just oriented to like projecting possible possibilities in, yeah. in the environment. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes me inherently sort of just open, yeah, open to seeking, open to things that are kind of coming uh, towards my door, even if it doesn't seem realistic or practical. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, yes, I will put myself out there in this way. And so when you have that tendency, because I can even look back at my own life and feel like, man, I've been really lucky or like, man, these things have just come. Mm -hmm. But in some ways it's been a tension of me pushing or seeking or having some element where the door is, is open. It's not closed shut. There isn't a tightness and a, and a, and, and like walls that have been built up. It's like, no, I'm always kind of uh, there. There's some sort of, aspect of myself that's always you know got like the binoculars out and sort of seeking right. and looking and and i think that is a, a, an aspect that does create luck because mm-hmm. you're willing to sort of take the leap on something that might not really make sense or at least just perceive in the environment that something could be and it's like wow that was really lucky that it happened it's like was it i don't know i just kind of i went for it yeah, I mean, going back to this ocean metaphor, because I like it, and I, I didn't just invent this metaphor on this spot, I've, I've used this before, but the, the idea that you're a little boat in a big ocean, mm-hmm. and the, there's huge waves, and they're pushing you in these random directions, and you're like, I can't control which way the waves are pushing me, but I, I can paddle, and I paddle, yeah. paddle, 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 and maybe there's like, there's all these like islands, there's like these paradise um, mm-hmm. islands that you could get to, and the idea of like, well, the, the wave just has to push me to them, I have no control, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not true, paddle yeah. towards that one, paddle, 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 right. paddle, and like the waves are pushing me away from it, it's like, well, keep paddling, keep paddling, and it's like, there, there are things that we do when we're talking about self-improvement, when we're talking about wisdom, when we're talking about becoming someone who has agency over themselves, someone who is like sovereign over themselves, yeah. it's like, that's like this way of like building yourself a sail on yeah. your little boat, and it's like, well, now I have more agency, I can actually control better where I'm going, right. It's like, well, now I have a motor on the boat. It's like, wow, you have even more agency. It's like, are you controlling the ocean yet? It's like, no, you never will control the ocean. But can you give yourself more power to get to where you need to go? And it's like, well, now I've recruited like an army of like uh, oarsmen and now they're all 
right. listening to me as I drum and I'm like, go, 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 go. And we're making it to the, to the island. Right. And it's Getting like, it seems like, wow, it's powerful. pretty lucky that mm-hmm. the, the wave pushed you to the island. And it's like, well, yes, but also like I made that luck happen. Mm. I made the wave get me there eventually because yeah. I kept building on myself. I kept, kept finding skills um, developing certain circumstances in my life, even just acquiring materials, even just mm-hmm. saving up money yeah. that allowed me to make it to this to this place that looks like it was lucky. When yeah. In reality, it was a combination of luck and decision making. Yeah, it also certainly like <laughs> is making me think that when like Poseidon, you know, god of the ocean and mm-hmm. sea, is angry and his wrath is coming in this big cyclone and the waves are coming and it's like oh my god we're gonna die it's yeah. like you can't control you can't you can't control poseidon mm-hmm. but how are you gonna ride the wave you right. know when the flood comes right how right. prepared are you and yeah. if you've been working and strengthening and building up your resources and your resiliency right. and you're strong and you're not weakened yeah when when the god's wrath comes your way mm-hmm. you can face it and you can face it and kind of maybe break through the storm and get to the yeah. other side. And so that's where that dynamic of just like strengthening oneself comes into play here. It's like, yes, you might you might face something on the horizon that will just absolutely like destroy you in yeah. so many ways, but it will not kill you. Yeah. I mean, again, this, this gets, you know, deeper. This conversation could, could go deeper in the cosmic justice. I mean, there's, there's this whole idea of mm. like sin right yeah and like it's sin is something that we trivialize we kind of laugh at it and say like there's no such thing as sin that's ridiculous yeah. mm-hmm. um but this old notion is like there are certain ways that you can live that are virtuous and there are certain ways that you can live as, that are sinful mm. and that you will actually be punished eventually yeah. if you sin right and the whole idea of like well, that's that's silly there's no god there's yeah. no one watching what i'm doing right and it's like well look like think of sin as engaging in certain activity that is going to come back to bite you in the ass. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's like, is that a real thing? Right, it's reality. It's like, of course it's real. Yeah. We recognize this. Mm-hmm. If you walk across the street and every time you do, you don't look both ways, Yeah. you could say that you're sinning. Mm. And it's like, well, that's there's no such thing as sin. It's like, well, try it. Yeah. Try walking across the street without looking both ways every time. Mm. Probably you'll be okay. Probably you won't get hit by a car. But one of these days, you'll get hit by a car. Yeah. And it'll be like, why did that happen? Was it an act of God? It's like, well, it was an act of the universe that comes to slap you in the face <laughs> when you pretend as if you don't need to um, take proper action. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you can just sort of like twist the fabric of reality, right? right. You can take yeah. the fabric of reality and just pretend it doesn't exist. I can just go out and do whatever I want. I don't need to follow any rules. I don't mm-hmm. need to pretend as if there's any right or wrong way to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's all relative. Um, in olden times, there used to be a notion of this. is like, well, that there's sin, and there's virtue. Yeah. And sin will result in you ending up in hell. Yeah. And it might not be in this lifetime, right. but it might be hell for your children mm. or their children's children. Right. And if you don't properly take care of yourself, maybe you're not going to raise your children properly. Maybe you're going to be neglectful towards them. Maybe you're yeah. going to be abusive towards them. Maybe you're not going to leave behind any sort of materials for them. Mm. And so if you don't pay for it now, your children will pay for it. Right. And so this whole idea of hell, it's like, it's kind of real. Mm. And anyways, this should be an entire another episode, but- Yes, we'll put that on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just also important to note that like we are gripped in like a social wheel of fortune moment with what Absolutely. we are experiencing. The moment, <laughs> definitely. And th- this will be coming out on Sunday the second, the, the first. first. The first. The first. And so mm-hmm. this is definitely a like convergence moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, ways. I think we feel gripped by many things. Yeah. 
like this pandemic has been going on for what now? Seven months? Yeah. At least six months? Well, we've been definitely affected by it here in, on the West Coast right. of the United States for seven months. I think it was. Yeah. You know, get, let, let, let that be a collective lesson of mm-hmm. something that is uh, by the will of nature that nobody can control yeah. that comes in and changes the course of so many people's lives yeah. and really like just like the fabric of like our culture and yeah. society and like actually like we have to question how we do things you know the norms the economic dynamics yeah. all of these repercussions that we are dealing with is it's like why is this happening why mm-hmm. now yeah why on top of everything else that we're dealing with it's like mm, wheel of fortune you know right Right. And with the Wheel of Fortune, with the idea of like the pandemic, it's like, I don't have any control over this. The pandemic happened. It's like, I had nothing to do with the pandemic happening. Yeah. Why me? But at the same time, it's like, well, could it have been prevented? And it's like, Mm. in some ways, yes. It's like, were we ready for the pandemic? In many ways, we weren't ready. (laughs) Did certain authorities Uh, take proper action with the pandemic? And so there's sort of, again, there's this tension of like, so much of this is out of our control mm. and yet mm. some of it is in our control. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's something we have to sort of uh, grapple with. And right. it's easy for us to decide, well, the people that are responsible for this happening are these people yeah. and not yeah. anyone else. Right. But there's also this notion of like, well, in some ways we're all responsible yeah. and we need to like maintain that moving into the future. It's easy to think, well, like, well, you know, I have no control over climate change, mm. for instance. And it's like, well, yes and no. It's like you do because you're human. Yeah. You're the cause of this in some way. But it's like, uh, can you change it? Mm. It's like, mm, I mean, it kind of gets, I mean, we're about, well, most of us probably already voted, but um, uh, voting day is coming up. And there there is some of this notion with voting where it's like, does your vote count or does it not? Yeah. And there is sort of this notion of like, it's both. Mm. Like you're in California, your vote probably doesn't really count. (laughs) Like it doesn't really matter if you vote. And yet at the same time, if everyone took that position, right, that's then the it wouldn't work. Slope. Yeah. And that's a slippery slope. It's like, yeah. well, which one is it? Does my vote count or does it not? It's right. like, it's both. Yeah. It's like your vote counts. You need to take, you need to um, have agency here. You need to recognize mm-hmm. your own power for change yeah. and you need to go out and create that change. Yeah. And it's like, well, but like I voted and like, it was so clearly blue that my, my vote didn't count, obviously. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay. So at the same time, there is this sort of feeling that many things are out of your control. Mm. You, Alyssa, are not going to decide the election. And yet, yeah. you have some responsibility for the election. Right, because when, when you multiply me, yeah. suddenly Alyssa times a million. Whoa. All the Alyssas out there. Too much power. <laughs> Too much Doesn't, genius it all does, at once. It, it, it's, you, you said something earlier about like the ripples. Yeah. We were kind of talking about the ripples of like the universal principle at play. Mm-hmm. But we as individuals have our ripple effect as well. Absolutely. And we set things into motion, things yeah. that we couldn't possibly know, mm-hmm. you know, because your attitude towards not taking civic responsibility and not voting, that will ripple out whether that ripples to your friends, to your family, to your children, to a general attitude of apathy or nihilism, mm-hmm. that means something. Yeah. And it's something that we have to contend with as we just orient ourselves to what reality really is, mm-hmm. which is the dance, the dance between free will and fate and recognizing our place amongst um, the greater, really, the cosmos, but also our material reality. Right. Recognize that at all times, in all things, you have power. And yet, 
learn to sit with the idea that you are lacking in power. Mm-hmm. And this is like a famous like stoic quote, and I don't actually remember who said it, and I'm going to butcher it, but because I didn't prepare for it, but like <laughs> it's a good way to end the episode, right? This is a good way to end the episode. I'll, I'll end it on this quote, but it's like the the core of wisdom. It, fuck, I fucked it up. The core of wisdom is understanding what is in your power and what is not. And now it's time for a question from our audience. Here's the question. I am male, but I had a dream about giving birth. It was painful, but beautiful. How do I approach this symbolically? Hmm. Well, first and foremost, taking that symbolic lens, um, birth is about creation. Hmm. And really like the entrance of new life, some sort of new energy that's blossoming into the individual's existence. So I wish I had some more information about this dream. I'm curious. Know, right? It's a very interesting <laughs> idea. Yeah. And it's a very interesting thing to have a dream about. But there, there are a lot of questions yeah. about yeah. Uh, the imagery here. Right, right. What's the experience? Like, like? were they, uh, you know, they might be a male in waking reality. But mm-hmm. did they dream themselves as a male giving birth or mm-hmm. were they a woman or was it kind of uncertain? Because yeah. in some ways, like if they were dreaming um, as themselves, like the dream ego is pretty much like an image of mm-hmm. who they are in reality and they're giving birth. It's like, oh, this is a very interesting dynamic between the masculine and the feminine Certainly. as if like the the masculine principle within you could uh, kind of tap into and bring to life some some form of creation or if you were imaging yourself as a woman maybe it is more about tapping into some more feminine nature um that's going to allow this process to to take hold for for life to be born i mean it's uh, everyone's dreamscape is different but it's you know it, it does make me wonder like did this person watch the birth happening mm, did they see themselves as having a vagina and mm. did they see a baby coming out mm. of the vagina mm. they say the dream was painful in some sense or yeah. it was like the there was the quality of there being pain in the dream right. it's hard to say like how much real you, birth was actually taking place right right yeah. like all the associated pain um but it makes you wonder it's like were you feeling pain in mm. some sort of vaginal way <laughs> or were you feeling it on your penis or something like that <laughs> were you um, imagining a baby coming out of your penis or something like that. It's like, there, there are questions like, this is like really strange and interesting. It's like, yeah. I wish I knew more. Well, one time I dreamt that I was pregnant and I also dreamt that my brother was pregnant, but he was right. like, he was my brother, like how right. he is in real life. It was a really, we won't get into that, but it's an interesting <laughs> question, right? Because it's like, how was my brother going to give birth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did you think that in the dream? No, I no, thought you it. Didn't, you didn't question it. <laughs> no, I didn't question it. Anyways, um, you know, I I would pose a couple of questions to the dreamer, such as like, what do you feel like has been gestating inside of you for mm-hmm. some time? What feels uh, like it's it's coming alive? Yeah. So, is is there some sort of psychological shifts that have been happening, and maybe now the dream is sort of heralding that like those are taking root? Maybe there's some new venture activity, mm-hmm. some new goals. Um, maybe just a, a turn towards 
some sort of development, but just with like the idea of the symbol of birth, that this is not something that just happens on a whim. It's you've been holding it. The woman has been carrying it for nine months. Mm -hmm. It's this laborious process um, of challenge, um, yet reward. So whatever is really being born into the dreamer's life is something that I think they could look back on and see has been building for some time. Yeah, I mean, there's something... um about giving birth it's not just simply creating also it's right there's self-sacrifice that's associated with birth oh yeah if i mean in real life if you give birth you are potentially sacrificing your body mm-hmm. women used to die in childbirth yeah, so yeah, i think yeah. there is that sort of um inherent symbolism mm-hmm. with giving birth this is like an act of self-sacrifice yeah. this is an act where you might convert your life into a different life permanently mm-hmm. and even if you don't you know even if you aren't injured by childbirth and you don't die in childbirth, there's still this notion that this child has changed your life forever. Your life is no longer your own. Your life is now the child's life. Mm. And so the act of giving birth is something that's much more cosmic and all encompassing and, and really communicates a deep, deep change of like your life becoming something that never was before. Mm. That would be different Mm. as opposed, you know, than just like creating like a, a painting where it's like, that's done, put yeah. it on the wall, that's yeah. it. It's like, no, this is something much deeper and more complex than that. Yes. Um, I'm kind of thinking, like, what might the, the role of the of the archetype of the mother play for this dreamer? Mm-hmm. Um, how might that be something that they can draw upon at this time? Because certainly there's the implications, as you're saying, that, like, there's sacrifice, that there's, like, a shifting of identity yeah. in the role that you play and what you give up. But that's part of the process of transformation mm-hmm. for any parent as, as they leave behind youth um, and they step into something that gives life new meaning. So in what ways might being the the role of like both the mother and the father possibly like be yeah. you know what what's lying under the surface here symbolically mm. look at the archetype of the father look at the archetype of the mother see if there's something within that that might be striking you as resonant yeah um it just seems really heavy yeah and i mean yeah. again i want more details yeah i want to know i mean i want to know how it felt like after you woke up like yeah, was certainly. this a very very emotional experience mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. did this create any sort of real life change did mm-hmm. you come to some conclusion after this dream of like oh uh i'm going to do something different now than i was before yeah um because that's what i would imagine and um he you know he said that it was sort of a beautiful experience mm-hmm. which makes makes me think that this is viewed as some sort of positive growth dream some sort of path of individuation, Mm -hmm. some sort of um, way of taking everything that belongs and bringing it together and sort of converging it into like this uh, rebirth, Mm. like, you know, death and rebirth as like this like transformation that happens. And um, yeah, the child might be him. Yeah, that'd be interesting if he saw his own face, if, if, he, if he gave birth to himself. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I <laughs> Wouldn't mean, that if... be a crazy dream, though? <laughs> it's like, I'm the doctor, and I'm the mom giving birth, and right. I'm the baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not what I meant. I it's meant... Like, Joe, what yeah. What will you name your baby? It's like, right. I will name him Joe. <laughs> and then the baby like turns around and is like, hello, Joe. <laughs> and you say back, <laughs> hi, Joe. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is, this is getting pretty weird. <laughs> And it's like, oh, my whole family is here. And like your grandparents are there and all your brothers and sisters and they all have your face. And like, they're all Joe. 
It's like, whoa, what's happening? This is a very, uh, it seems kind of Freudian almost. I'm not sure how to analyze that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I derailed uh, the You so derailed it. No, it was really funny. Mm. Um, maybe that's what happened. But what I meant was mm. when we take that subjective viewpoint with dream analysis and we look at all the different figures and themes as representing parts of our self, you know, if there's an actual child that's being born in the dream, but or even just the implication and it's because when you said rebirth, and it's yeah. like, yeah, this is a birth, but it could be a rebirth mm-hmm. of some part of the individual that is um, emerging. And maybe it has a lot to do with like the inner child too. Maybe there's like a new relationship that's forming uh, with some aspect of that, that childlike innocent quality of the dreamer, something that they can nurse now, something that maybe wasn't um, held and and cared for as much as it could have been. Sometimes I think... A lot of process of inner work and development is is reparenting ourself and, yeah, and kind totally. of becoming our own uh, kind of vessel of of healing and support while also finding you know forgiveness and compassion for right. for the past. So I would ask the dreamer: Is there anything that's happened in your life that you need to actually commit to and uh, say this is my life from now on? Is there something that's being created in your life that mm-hmm. maybe you aren't fully embracing mm-hmm. and maybe you should really embrace it? Maybe it's time to let part of yourself die that mm-hmm. you haven't yeah. let go of yet yeah. because um, you're maybe part of you is anticipating a transition into parent mode. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just mean literally having children. It means becoming um, a parent to the world yeah. or giving something to the world that is self-sacrificial. And is there some cause, is there some path that you see as being greater um, that maybe isn't going to lead to like pleasure and comfort, but is something more meaningful and powerful for that? Do you feel that? And are you not embracing it for some reason? And maybe it's time to embrace it. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Contact us through the submission form, which can be found at our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.